Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about your vocation, your work, and whether that has anything to do with any kind of calling from God. Like, does God have a calling for everyone? And how does that weave into what you do for a living? It's going to be good. But first, it's story time, and it is uh, Jim's turn. All right. So, uh, the other night we had a men's feast and we had a guest speaker, a friend of mine named Darcy Fast, who was a pitcher for the Cubs mm-hmm. in uh, 1969. 68. Well, 68, 69, 70. He was a pro for those years. But I believe, I believe, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, one of the cool parts of the story is that his very first major league pitch was against Hank Aaron. And so it was an amazing story as he told us all about it. But it got us thinking about baseball and I love baseball. There's a, in fact, I'll just do a little ad here. There's a book that I asked my daughter Julie to read, and I wanted all my daughters to read it. It's called Men at Work, and it's written by a guy named George Will, who's a political commentator and a commentator, like not an uncommentator. Uh, anyway, uh, um, this book, Men at Work, is all about baseball, and if, it's impossible to read that mm-hmm. book and not fall in love with the game of baseball. How come you didn't recommend your sons to read it? Well, I don't know. I've never even heard of this book. Really? I don't think so. I don't think I've ever heard you tell me about it. Hmm. See, Sounds that's that chauvinist like. uh, heritage in me that I wanted. I think I think a woman is more beautiful if she loves baseball. <laughs> and I think a man is more awesome if he plays something. Hmm. So maybe like that was my... A guitar? <laughs> no, like football. That's why I made you play two years of football, even though you hated yeah. it. I had an all right time. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, all this thinking about baseball made me think of a story of a baseball game I actually took Julie to. Mm. And so we're in Colorado, and we went to a Rockies game, and I got really good seats. I don't remember how I got them, but I got them for free. And we were two rows above the Rockies dugout. Um actually kind of at the end of the dugout right before what's called a camera well it's Mm. this dugout part where cameras are for the game those are good seats yeah they're great and um so this old guy is next to me so julie's on the aisle then me and then this old guy and his wife Mm -hmm. and uh how how long ago is this well um 10 years ago okay that's not right i don't know okay (laughs) okay more than 10 years ago. Okay. Because I was talking about him. I was talking to him about going on a cruise because uh, somehow in between, you know, you just start talking to people. And, yeah. And I was talking to him about we want, my wife and I want to go on a cruise. And so he's given me all this cruise advice. And so I had not yet been on a cruise. And my first cruise was at our 25th wedding anniversary, which was 10 years ago. So further than 10 years so ago. So further than 10 years ago. Julie's like, uh, I want to say Julie's, I don't know. She's a late teenager. Okay. And um, so uh, as the game's going on, well, um, when the Rockies would warm up mm-hmm. uh, before every inning on in the field, you know, they're throwing grounders and they're throwing it back to first base. Well, when it's time for a batter to come up, that first baseman would toss the ball into the dugout. So uh, Todd Hilton was the first baseman. Mm-hmm. And these kids would run down at that point of every inning, you know, 
Todd, Todd, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. And um, at this point, the first base coach had the ball. And these kids are asking for it. And Julie's sitting there and he points at Julie. And I said, hey, he's going to give you that ball. So she stands up and he tosses it to her. Mm -hmm. And she's like, hey, I got a baseball. And this old guy next to me says, it doesn't suck to be blonde, does it? (laughs) (laughs) And it was true. She's such a, you know, really pretty girl that he picked her out and wanted to give her the ball. (laughs) So that's one of my baseball stories. That's very funny. Yeah. I love baseball. When we lived in El Paso and I was an air traffic controller, they had minor league baseball, the El Paso Diablos, double hmm. A baseball for the Milwaukee Brewers at the time. And we would go to those games. They had dollar hot dog night. They had firework nights. Mm-hmm. And it's just so much fun. The if a, if a Diablo player, they make almost no money down there. And so if a Diablo player hit a home run, the, the announcer would say, okay, give it. Yeah, he's going to walk around the edge of the seats with his helmet. And you go down there and give them a few bucks and say, thanks. <laughs> and so these guys, when they hit a home run, they'd walk around the edge of the bleachers oh, with their helmet Lord. out like an offering bucket. And people would just throw <laughs> money in there. And so these guys are swinging for the fences every time they bat because they get oh, a helmet full of cash. Lots and lots of fun. That sounds like a blast. That's such a that's so interesting. Yeah. Thinking of Because the idea of a, a person who plays a sport. To be observed, they make a good amount of money normally. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, minor league, you know, double A, they're making about thirty five, forty grand a year. It's not a, not a lot of money. Playing baseball though, you know, professionally, technically. Oh, it's a great it's a great life if you can live on that. Right. Yeah, yeah those are fun fun nights. What league is the uh, the Rainiers in? They're in Triple A. Triple A. Okay, those that, those are fun games. Yeah, and those guys make a little bit more money. They're getting closer to six figures. Okay, <clears throat> and. Uh, those Di- the Diablos had a, a, an announcer at the stadium named Paul Strelson. Mm-hmm. And I would go there just to listen to him. He would crack me up. <laughs> and so he would he would be announcing the game, and some girl would walk by. And he'd, over the, over, the, over the speakers, he'd say, Oh, that's a pretty sweater, darling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that one. And uh, whenever, they, whenever the opposing team, when you came into the stadium, they'd give mm-hmm. you a, a Kleenex. All the fans got a Kleenex. And so when the visiting team would pull their pitcher because he's getting shelled, the whole crowd would stand up and wave these Kleenexes. <laughs> and Paul Strelton would say over the PA system, adios, adios, see you later. <laughs> adios. And the whole crowd's going crazy. It was just so much fun. Oh, my goodness. That sounds like a hoot. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Minor league baseball is way more fun than the big leagues, mm. but the baseball's not as good. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. That's a good story. Yeah. Several Wait. stories, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good it's a good theme of stories. Baseball is one of those things where uh I love it when I watch it and it's and it seems to me like there's a high barrier of entry where it's taken me so long. To learn the rules of and appreciate football. Now I consider myself a pretty big football fan. Right, right. That in my head, I'm like, I have to do that all over again for every sport that I get into. (laughs) So as much as I really do enjoy watching baseball, and I do, and the rules are are less nuanced than uh, football. There's less weird little exceptions and stuff like that. So I can still, I can watch it enjoyably, but I don't know people. I don't know how the seasons work. I don't know, you know, which teams are doing well, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, we should do that sometime. And I tell you, Major League Baseball, playoff baseball. Mm Mm-hmm is edge of your seat awesome 
because the game, people say baseball's boring because it moves so slow. It's three hours. Hmm. What other sport is there where you say, let's go take in a game? You know, <laughs> it's like a, it's like an, a, an all day event. Yeah. But also, take in a game. yeah, but, but if you, if you think baseball's boring, it's because you don't understand the complexities because the right. game literally is changing with every single pitch. Okay. He went low and inside with a fastball. Now he's going to throw a curveball high and away or low and away or an off-speed pitch because the pitcher's constantly trying to change the pace for the batter so he can't get a, a swing grooved in. Then the game changes completely when a man's on first base or a man on first and second or first yeah. and third. Everything's constantly changing if yeah. you're thinking about it. Well, that's awesome. I also just realized that story actually pertains a bit to our uh, our talk today about vocation. Darcy spoke about his um, – a uh, very uh, young career as a as a cub, mm-hmm. and his shift into ministry. Yeah, um, and today we're talking about vocation. Uh, what do so so your personal call to ministry? How did that go? We're not only talking about ministry today, but your your vocation in the ministry. How did you receive that call, and what was your brisk um, plan and, and steps to? Yeah, that? well, this is this is a kind of an interesting thing because you know we really want to get to. Um, does calling affect everybody or does only certain people get called? Yeah. And if you, if everybody gets calling, how are those callings different? Right. Does everyone have like a burning bush moment? <clears throat> right. Like, yeah. So for me, I was, um, I became a Christian my sophomore year of high school, mm-hmm. then got deep into my youth group. I mean, I went deep when I gave my heart to Christ. I went deep. Uh, he defined everything about me. So I changed everything in my life. Mm. And so uh, my senior year, my youth pastor has me speak to the students one night, which I'm covered in sweat when it's over. I was just <laughs> scared to death. And he believed that I had a call in my life then before I went to college. Hmm. Because I, of, of how you spoke? or, or? No, just because of how engaged I was, how much I cared about gotcha. church and people and people finding Christ. And, gotcha. And so... <clears throat> um. But when I went to college, I went to a liberal arts Christian college, and my major was accounting, and my plan was to get an accounting degree and then go to law school. Yeah, how long did that last? I was about 43 seconds into my first accounting <laughs> class when I said, oh, no, I'm in trouble. And I really went into a crisis because I hated accounting. And I don't know what made me think I should get an accounting degree. I was kind of wanting to get this business and law school thing merged. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so, uh, man, I start crying out to God, what am I going to do? This yeah. was my plan, and I and I hate it. And you didn't – how much deliberation did you do picking that first major of accounting? It was kind of uh, – just seemed obvious to me. So gotcha. I didn't think about seven options and then pick that one. So this wasn't a uh, – this wasn't uh, – why, why was it such a crisis then? Well, because I need to change my major. What am I going to do? And like gotcha. the whole accounting finance thing, I hated it. Mm-hmm. So so not only were you switching into a different field in your general region, you're going to a different. Your, yeah, your for some reason, I'm throwing the baby changing. out with the bathwater. Like the whole law school plan must be a mess. Hmm. That's weird that I, I don't remember thinking that through that critically, but I just went into toxic shock mode. And so I start crying out to God, what am I going to do with my life? What do you want me to be? You know, and there was a chapel service that was student led. And, um, 
At the end of the time, they, they played a Keith Green song called I Pledge My Heart to Heaven for the Gospel. I don't know if that's the name of the song, but that was one of the lines. Hmm. And in that song, he sings, you know, I pledge my heart to heaven for the gospel, my life, I pledge my wife, I pledge my kids. This whole song you know, is how he pledges everything he is sure. to heaven for the gospel. And so I'm on my knees uh, in this kind of crisis mode, and I, I just sense God say to me, that's what I want you to do. Hmm. And so I said, okay. And I pledged, I'm crying, and I pledge everything I got to heaven for the gospel. Hmm. So I get up off my knees at the end of chapel. I go straight to the counselor's office, and I change my major to biblical studies. And off I off I go. I had no idea what that meant. I had no intention of pastoring a church. I had no intention of preaching. Sure. Um, so all I knew of was youth ministry, and I just assumed I would be a youth pastor for the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah, you, you don't you don't waste time in your decision making. Back to the last episode, <laughs> you very much uh, yeah. just pick it and go. Well, that's true. That, I don't know what that is, and um, and given how fast I make decisions, it's surprising I don't have a whole lot more decisions I regret. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. One thing that's interesting, John, is um, you know, uh, four years into youth ministry. So fast forward, I graduate, get married. I graduate on Thursday, marry Sue on Friday. We moved to Dallas the next Wednesday, and uh, in six weeks, I'm a youth pastor at my home church. And uh, four years of that, we go from double income, no kids, to two incomes, one kid. I'm a really good youth pastor and a really lousy husband. Mm-hmm. And I come home one day, and Sue says, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna go visit my parents. I don't know when I'm coming back. Yeah, and so, you, you, have, you told this on the marriage episode. Yeah, but. so we go through this little crisis. And I decide to leave ministry. Mm-hmm. Through a weird series of events, I become an air traffic controller. Hmm. Okay, now that I would have never put that on the you know the pro con sheet of an idea. Right. I loved aviation. I'd taken flying lessons, but it never occurred to me to become an air traffic controller. And what I think now were divinely ordered, uh, um, what do you call that when a coincidence? You know, through these things that appear to be coincidences, sure, I end up taking the test and getting interviewed and getting offered a chance to go to the academy and become an air traffic controller. So for three and a half years, I leave ministry and mm-hmm. I'm an air traffic controller. So the decision to do that and then the decision to go back into church work were all kind of vocational calling conversations. Uh, a lot of my friends, when I quit youth ministry to go be an air traffic controller, mm-hmm. the way they described that to other people was he sold out. Yeah. He decided he's going to go make more money or he decided, you know, he, he's walking away from his calling. Sure. So did you, did you do much deliberation over that or was it just a, this makes sense for my family. So I'm going to go. Well, it's kind of a separate issue, which probably we ought to have another uh, podcast about how do you deal with your sense of shame? Hmm. But I, uh, I could not reconcile my depravity with my vocation. Hmm. So I felt unworthy to be a pastor. I thought, how could a pastor wrestle with the kinds of things I wrestle with or have the things go through their mind that go through my mind? I must be not qualified for this. Sure. And that crisis drove me to saying, I don't want to do this anymore. So was that along with the the home issues or... Yeah, so okay. that all kind of perfect stormed, and I'm like, I'm out. Gotcha. 
And but it wasn't long as an air traffic controller. Everywhere I go, I'm dreaming about planting a church, and mm-hmm. boy, we really should have a church over there. And and so I couldn't get it out of me. And I remembered some advice I got in college from our college president. And it wasn't just to me, it's to a classroom of people. But he mm-hmm. said, if you can walk away from vocational ministry and live with yourself, then you absolutely should. That ministry is so hard and so challenging that only people who are absolutely called to it should do it. Wow. And so when I walked away from it, I couldn't live with myself. Yeah. And I walked away then from a great career in air traffic control with mm-hmm. a very good wage, incredible benefits, three children. And I walked into uh, uh, an empty hand of hope with ministry that I, my first ministry job out of air traffic control paid $250 a week. And I got three kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so was there a change of how did you get past one, your own, your, your own uh, mindset about your. Uh, disqualification because of your struggles and and did you was the stuff at home just good now you're like okay now i can oh we fixed our marriage it was it was so you know god was good to us we worked really hard at it we relocated with air traffic so there's nobody living there with us we didn't have my friends we didn't have ministry didn't have Mm. youth stuff to do at night it was just us and so our family got really close um we got completely out of debt um yeah, so when we went back into ministry, we were really in good shape to do that. Gotcha. So um, I I think, you know, I want to save that shame thing for sure. another conversation. Yeah, okay. I think that's a really good one to have is how do we deal with shame? And in fact, we just posted a blog today about why our efforts to repent fail. And sometimes it, we just can't shake the shame. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really a good conversation to have. But let's yeah, get back can, to the vocation thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember... When you were younger, you were really growing in your faith in this one season. I want to say you might have been a freshman in high school. Maybe it was later. And you said, Dad, uh, is there a line of how much you love God? And if I cross that line, now I have no choice. I should be a pastor. Hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember wording it differently where um, the people that the the Bible is about don't have other day jobs, right? So the people who are the main characters of the stories that God is working through them to change things, they aren't um, librarians. You know, they're not, (laughs) they don't do anything other than, than what God is telling them to do. Yeah. I mean, the disciples were fishermen, but they did quit fishing to go follow him. Yeah. And Luke was a A physician, a physician. Um, And we don't know that, we don't know that Luke quits being a physician. Right. Um, yeah, but I, I see what you're saying. And you and, see very oh, and, few and stories. Paul was a tent maker, right? Right. Yeah. So, But you have Ananias and Sapphira, you know, um, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila is a great example because they're a husband and wife that are uh, business owners, and they don't quit their jobs, but they have a serious impact. Uh, they, in fact, um, they teach ministers the way of God more accurately. So mm. uh, that's one rare, very rare example of people who seemed, uh, you know, Stephen is the first deacon and he gets martyred for his faith and he's yeah. got, he's, he's doing miracles. So, but he's not a vocational minister. Right. So I think the, the thing that's confusing for people is, um, does God care what job I do for a living? Right. And especially because we have this idea at Evergreen, the, the Oikos idea. Yeah. Um, and so, one one way to look at it is what you do for a living doesn't even exactly matter 
as long as you are um, tending to this this highly influential sphere that you have for the kingdom. So so you're you're doing the work you're supposed to be doing, but not in your day job. Yeah, I like the I like the phrase in such a way that it helps me with lots of these kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. Does God care whether I'm a blacksmith, an accountant, a lawyer, a school teacher, a ditch digger? Um, or does he care that I do whatever that job is in such a way that it glorifies God? Yeah. And so I, I kind of look at it that way. Um, and this kind of bleeds over into a conversation about God's will. Like, what is God's will for my life? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people struggle. I, I've said before, you know, when I, I've done this with, I mean, I bet I've done it a dozen times with different youth groups over the years. I give all the kids a index card that's blank and a pencil, and they can write out any question they want to ask, and I'll just sit there and answer them. And three questions get asked every single time. One of them is, is masturbation sin? One of them is, how <laughs> yeah. far can I go on a date before it's sin? Mm-hmm. And the third one is, how do I know God's will? Hmm. And young people especially seem to have this idea that God's will is this perfect, detailed blueprint plan. Mm-hmm. And if I miss it by an inch, how do I ever get it back? And it's a frightening thing. If God's will is so specific, what if I miss it? Yeah. And so that's kind of where I think the vocation conversation comes in because does God want me? You went through this when you were trying to decide, well, what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. And you had this cloud parting clarity about I should be a journalist. How did that happen? Yeah. Uh, my junior year of high school, I was uh, um, deliberating. I, guess. Have I, I feel like I've used that word a lot this podcast. I'll, th- I'll try and think of a uh, – I was laboring <laughs> over the decision. Um, and uh, – I don't know, lots of different ideas. Um, and uh, so I started praying about it. And then uh, probably no more than between like a week and a few weeks later, um, I bumped into this guy that used to be a youth leader at uh, Evergreen. Mm. And um, he I hadn't seen him in a little while. And he was uh, a waiter at Falls Terrace at the time because oh. he was just out of high school. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think, just funny side note, I did not want to go to the restaurant that day. It was... It was you and mom and a different couple and me. And Uh-oh. you guys were like, where are we going for lunch? And I voted for one place. Everyone else wanted to go to Falls Terrace. We went there. and Which is uh, interesting because we didn't lunch at Falls Terrace maybe four times in my life. You know, I think that was the only time I've ever been there. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I bump into this guy. He's like, whoa, look at you. Um, and uh, <laughs> and um, <laughs> Look at you. What is that supposed to mean? The poor guy, like, is this like, no. whoa, you've made it? Or no, because he, he was he was attending SPS. He's, you know, no yeah. shame. He's getting his life okay, he's preparing okay. for the future. I just meant it was like, look at you. It was, it's that's just hilarious. A, look yeah. who it is. You know, yeah. one of those. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he says that that's how an awkward guy goes. <laughs> hey, how you doing? <laughs> look at you. Look at you. <laughs> I'm sure I didn't actually say that, but uh, anyway, he was doing taking. Uh, some course at SPS writing for their student paper and he oh. had written for Tumwaters. And um and it was not an especially I guess the reasons I thought that it was the answer was not because it was like the biggest coincidence ever that I run into this guy. Um uh, but it was just that the advice was more or less unsolicited. The, the and it wasn't even advice, it was just what he's up to. Right. But also that it made it was just so clearly obvious to me for some reason. Because I've always loved writing and I was always thinking, well, I can't just write books for a living. That's like, like I might as well want to be a rock star, right? I'll go start right, a band. Right. Um, and so uh, I had just forgotten, I guess, that journalists even existed, that it was a vocation that existed at a mm-hmm. job. 
And uh, so as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, well, obviously. That just makes the most sense. So then uh, I wrote for uh, the Tumwater paper the next year and then uh, wrote for Northwest paper when I finally went there for three years and got an internship, got my degree. Um, just kind of. But it became it. it became a guiding light for you. Like I'm going, you chose your school based on it. You know, it was a big factor there, and you you set your course. I'm going to be a journalist. Yeah, that was the I got my answer, so it was it made sense. And you, when you say you got your answer, you feel like that was a divine answer. Well, yeah, I asked, "What am I supposed to do?" And that was that was the answer. So, <laughs> um, so do you feel called to be a journalist? Well, then now I don't know. So so, but it's it's not a sense of I'm not disappointed. Really, I think about it like. Uh, um, that was the answer to get me to Moving. at least in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. now I have these skills that I got through Northwest, these people that I met, met my wife. Um, and now we're doing this and I have, now I have different dreams. Now I think, well, I would like to write a few books mm-hmm. and, uh, doing this thing. I would love if this took off and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I can freelance, you know, just, a, it's, it's, it's bigger than just being a, not bigger, but it's, it's, it's broader than being a. A journalist, a nine to five journalist, but it is about, uh, I'm going, you know, wanting to write with your, to use this talent. Right. So I, I don't feel led astray because I still feel like that's my, that's my gig. That's your special power. Right. <laughs> right. My super unique secret special power. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I never had a crisis where like, well, what the, you know, I'm supposed to be a journalist right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's generally how I got there. Yeah. Now. Um, when you think of the average guy on this question, what are they asking themselves on, um, on what the, are they on the to... question of vocation and calling? And, um, you know, uh, when I think about that, I think some people are going, well, I want to make as much money as I can. Hmm. I'm going to choose a vocation because based on pay scales and some people do that, they, they'll study what careers are in demand what careers have the best hiring rates? Sure. Where can I make the most money right out of school or whatever's next if I don't go to school? Other people say, I want something that's, I want to follow my passion. And, you know, I've heard lots of people say, life is too short and America is too opportune for you to do a job you hate every day for your life. Hmm. And whenever I hear that, I think, well, somebody's got to, you know, be sanitation engineers. Right. Somebody's got to be water treatment plant. Right. Somebody's got to build our highways and roof our houses and repair our cars. And, you know, do they love those jobs or are they putting food on their table for their family? Right. And where does the idea of calling come into that? I think that there are lots of different kinds of people, right? Uh, you have a friend who uh, he he believes that he is meant to make the most amount of uh, for for God, make as much money as possible and be extraordinarily generous with that money. Yeah, and he show, he chose a he chose an industry that he knows really well. Yeah, and that his dad knew really well, mm-hmm. and he didn't choose it because he loves the industry. He chose it because it was a very clear pathway for him to to do this thing where he could make as much money as right. possible. And that's a that's a shrewd answer, and it's not a. I I have a lot of respect for that answer. I wouldn't say that he shouldn't have done that. Right. So there's lots of different ways to look at it, and and guys like uh, other people we know that just want to work for the weekend and work for, for their family time. And then mm-hmm. maybe, maybe no job they could do. They would love that much. So they're going to do that enough to get what they want out of life, which is their family. And there's not a ton wrong with that either. Right. So some people would say, I want my, I don't, I don't want a job. I want a career mm. or I'm a, I want a mission. 
Right. Uh, so some people say, I'm going to, I'm going to go for the highest paying deal possible. Others would say, well, I want a job that's going to actually make the world a better place. I want my job mm. to matter. Other people say, I don't give a rip what I do for a living because I'm living for life outside of work. Right. So I'm going to choose a career that lets me work as little as possible and still make a life where I can have an adventure. I can travel. I can be with my family. So those that's all over the map. How do you how do you sort out where God is in the middle of all those questions? Yeah. And part of it, I think, with so in the conversation of calling, I think God takes these things into an into account if he even has a clear answer, which is. You know, something like, like the, uh, the Saul, the mm-hmm. first Saul, the mm-hmm. King Saul, um, that doesn't seem to imply that he does always have a direct blueprint for everybody. I found that, but I found that line also in, um, uh, a future story mm-hmm. where, uh, David is not yet King of Israel and the same thing is said to him by a prophet, whatever mm-hmm. your hand finds to do, do it with all your might for the Lord is with you. And so for some, you know, who, who get hung up on the God's will thing. I think they should hear God say to them, do whatever your hand finds do. Like, I don't care what you do. I care how you do it and who you are. Right. And so to that point, what I, what I was saying was that like those things about you. So for me, it's important that I write. It's important that I feel my work is meaningful or impactful or important in some way. And I enjoy being, I enjoy my work being visible. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it Mm kind of checked all those boxes. So, uh, so for you, when you say my vocation, I love it because I get to express myself in content. My content is meaningful and can help somebody's life mm-hmm. and it's going to be visible. Like it could be appreciated exactly or impactful. Exactly. And so, and I, and again, retroactively, I thought, oh, this journalism, that's why journalism makes sense. I didn't look at that list and choose. Right. Right. So it's right, a little right. different, but, um, I don't know. I think, I think there's a lot of cooperation there. There's not like, like there's not very many Jonah stories where God's like, I know you don't want to do this, but you got to do it anyway. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. I don't think I, I agree with you. And I think if Jonah had, well, I don't know. That's a, that's a really fascinating conversation. I don't mm-hmm. know of many other examples where, you know, God tells someone, I, I want you to do something you're going to hate. Exactly. Or at least to the extent that Jonah really, really hated the, the Ninevites. Right, right. So I'm wondering, you said you saw that in hindsight. So you would say there was some divine inspiration there getting you into this place. Because now as you see journalism, you look back and realize, wow, that clicks all these deep desires I have. It it aligns Mm -hmm. with these uh, wishes and impulses that I have as a person. And so that was probably God ordered. Well, maybe, but also uh, just on temperament, I probably more often than not could use just a good kick in the pants to get moving. <laughs> and I feel like if someone tried to kick you in the pants, you'd be too far gone for you to, for them to even get to you. So, yeah. So like, you know, maybe type a to use that would be you and you don't need that kick. You make those decisions on your own more often than not. And I can get too slow or comfortable or I don't know. So, but I guess, so would you, would you say then, or, or we could just unpack this. Does everybody have, a a uh a job they are meant to do. Yeah, I think um I don't think they have a job they're meant to do. I would say there's almost no one for whom that is true. Wow. Um I think there are some, but I'm talking about from a percentage standpoint. If you got a yeah. hundred people, maybe one of them 
God says, I want you, I'm calling you to do this exact job. Hmm. You could argue if I'm Tiger Woods and I can hit a golf ball like that, why in the world would I not do that with my life? Sure. Um, or if I'm a, a writer or a singer, if I have a musical gift, you know, whatever. So their gifts might drive them a certain way. But when you think of God wanting you to do a specific job, I don't see that he leads most people that way. Hmm. And I think that instead it's about uh, whatever you do, do it with all of your heart. Like if you're a baker, God doesn't want you to make crappy donuts or mediocre cakes or, <laughs> you know, he wants you to, he wants you to do that right. in a way that glorifies God right. where people go, man, that baker is awesome. Yeah. Because it creates pathways for you to bring glory to God. And he would want you to do that in a fair way. He'd want you to run your business uh, where you honor your employees and you provide dignity and you uh, make a reasonable profit and you steward your assets well. So he's more concerned about who you are and you're honest. You don't cheat on your taxes. You don't Mm -hmm. lie to your customers. Um, I had a friend years ago who owned a concrete business. And he was constantly losing bids because these companies would employ illegal immigrants oh. and they would not pay taxes on them. Wow. So they're paying them cash money under the table so they could reduce their profit margins because they're not having to pay legitimate um, Social Security wages and stuff. So then they would take lower lower rates on exactly. their Exactly. So they could outbid him on the price. Gotcha, gotcha. And so he, in some ways, is getting punished for playing by the rules. For being having integrity about Yes. It. But God always honored it. He was incredibly successful, and his work was impeccable. Hmm. And if someone came to him and said, hey, I need you to do this project for me, when could you do it? Well, some companies, if they can't get it done for four weeks, they'll say, well, I can have that done in two weeks. And no, they know they can't. Sure. But if they say four weeks, they might not get the bid. Mm-hmm. So they say he, two he weeks. He was never No, he would say, that. hey, four weeks. And he would lose the job sometime to a guy who's hired illegals and is saving money, or he would lose the job to companies who would lie to their customers. He knows they can't do it in two weeks, yeah. but he lost the bid to them anyway because they're lying. Hmm. And so he, he never wavered. I'm going to do this to glorify God. I'm going to keep my integrity in check. And God uh, honored that in his life. So I think those issues are more important than what it is you're doing. Yeah. So on my end, the idea of not having a, a directive is a little disheartening. If I think, well, if I got a, if I'm just going to go out there and try my best at whatever happens to land in my lab, that that to me is less um, exciting than I was. I was made for this purpose, and mm-hmm. I'm going to go do this purpose. And do you think? I know the the desires of your heart. Do you think that 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 changes how you're? Like the plans of your life? Or? Well, that might be part of the romanticist in you that wants this to be storybook. Hmm. And you you would really prefer a story where some where the cosmic uh, forces of God aligned and the light <laughs> shined and you stepped right into that light and did this thing that was crafted before the beginning of time for Jonathan. <laughs> You're making me sound like a narcissist, but sure. I mean, that's there's something really cool about that. Yeah. And God does, in fact, have that kind of detailed thoughts about you. Um, so that there, there may be a part of that that's attractive to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people would view that as a trap. Like, uh-oh, what if I miss that 
little spot of light? What if I hmm. make the wrong choice? And um, and then other people are like, uh, I don't. I want to try. I know people who have they they like every shiny new toy that comes along. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have. They they say you know in, in in former days like generation before mine, a guy would work for forty years for the same job, same company, same place. Right. Uh, our friend Ken, his dad worked at Boeing. You know, thirty some years. Yeah. Went to work every day at the same time. Got home at the same time. Did the same company. Mm-hmm. Well, that's extremely rare now. Now they're saying, John, that for your generation, you'll change entire industries six times in your work life. Yeah. So part of that is just I'm interested in a lot of different things, and there's a lot of there's a lot of things I'd love to do, and um, so it it's I think personality and temperament is a lot of part of this. Hmm. Whenever, um, so here's where I'm a little bit hypocritical on this because I'm saying that God might not call you to own a landscaping business and mow people's yards, trim their hedges, and and take care of their landscaping. But I would say if you're a pastor or a missionary, you need to know that God called you to do that. Hmm. Cause I meet a lot of people who are young, especially and they go, they look at, they look at a pastoral life, which usually looks like, you know, they're seeing their pastor when he's hanging out with them, he's getting to speak. Um, there's some limelight there. If he's a youth pastor, the youth, the, you know, all the kids think he's really cool. They like him. Sure. And he gets to go have Cokes and coffees with him. He's going to Dairy Queen. He's hanging out at their ball games. And they <laughs> yeah. look at that and they go, I'd love to do that for a living. Right. And what they're thinking about is all the way this life appears to them. And and they would say, I'm going to do that without a sense of divine call. Hmm. And um, I cheer that on at first. And I realize that this Dr. Spence probably had it right. If you can walk away from that and live with yourself, you probably should, because it's going to grind you to nothing. So then when you when you walked away from the ministry and you, you came back, but say you didn't, or say for people who do walk away and never go back, yeah. were they never called or, or what's going on? Did, did God change his mind? You know. Well, and here's, here's the way I would even move that off the needle a little. If I don't answer your question, let me know and, sure. and, I'll, and I'll try harder. Um, let's say, let's speak of me, okay? So I'm one of those shiny new things. I, I, I would love, I, I wrote for a paper for seven years. I was a sales consultant. I did air traffic control. You know, I would love to be a police officer. I've thought about uh, owning my own business. There's mm-hmm. lots of things that interest me. But I do what I do because I have this sense of call. Now, but I believe that if I did say, I'm done, I don't want to be a pastor anymore, and I started my own business or did my own thing, I don't believe God would punish me for that. Mm-hmm. I don't believe he would stop blessing me because of that. I think he would he would he would be okay with that. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm right or wrong about that, but I think that what he because I'm so committed to this other uh, compass. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you love your neighbor like yourself? Are you doing whatever you're doing with everything you got for the glory of God? As long as I'm doing that, I don't think God gives a rip what I'm doing hmm. for a living. 
Because you're still going to have that influence. Absolutely. And when I left youth ministry and my friends, my friends who knew me were saying, almost like I backslid as a Christian, Jim <laughs> running from the call, you know, yeah. Jim turned his back. I'm like, what? When I was in those air traffic control facilities, sitting in a control tower late at night with other controllers who are far from God, we're having meaningful conversations. And I helped some guys find their way to Christ that I would have never met as a pastor at a church because they're not going yeah, there. Yeah, they weren't going to walk in the building. Right. And so I felt just as connected to God and his mission as an air traffic controller as I did as a youth pastor. Okay, so real, real practical now. If we're talking to somebody who feels directionless or who hates their job and looking for something new, mm-hmm. um, do you just say, figure it out and God's going to bless it? Or what do you, <laughs> what do you, what do you say to them? Well, uh, I, do, I do side with uh, this kind of idea. If I can figure out who God made me to be, then it'll help me understand what God made me to do. Mm. You, you reverse engineered that. You got this idea of journalism and now in hindsight, you realize how that career fits with who God made you to be. In a sense, I've also had realizations where, talking about temperament, I don't have the temperament that you would assume of a journalist as far as the uh, uh, the go-get-him attitude and, yeah. and speed. Corner that guy in the corner and make exactly. him tell the truth. <laughs> exactly. Catch that politician in a lie. And, exactly. Yeah. No, uh, I, I agree with that. That's a little off, off topic. But, well, yeah. that, that speaks to the kind of writing you're going to do. Really... Uh, writing is the is the real call you feel more than journalism specifically. Sure, um, but there's a part of you that you know if you got a job uh, improving the website and writing catalog, uh, uh, you know, um, product catalogs for a company where your writing is to describe their products or um, user manuals for how to use this new gadget. If mm-hmm. that was the writing you were doing, you would be bored out of your head with it. Yeah, I don't think I would enjoy that so much. Even though you're getting to write. Hmm. So there's something deeper in you that your vocation is going to connect to. The question I would have is what about the guy who has none of that? Like right. like I don't I don't have anything I want to do. When someone asks him what he's good at, he goes, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Well, I, I think know. I think he should explore that more and figure out what aptitudes are in him. There's some assessment tools you can find and if you google that, there's a lot of them. Some of them are free, some of them cost some money, but uh, do some personality assessments and some skill set uh, temperament uh, assessments and vocational aptitude assessments. If you take a disc profile, for example, it's 35 bucks and it gives you a pretty detailed report. And in the back of that is vocations that typically fit well to this score. Gotcha. And so you start looking at a list of that and you start imagining yourself in those careers. And maybe it starts giving you a little bit of guidance. Uh, but in the meantime, try stuff. And maybe just find a job that actually pays the best and gives you the hours you want. And who cares while you figure it out? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I say, I guess my overall advice is take the pressure off. Hmm. Like, um, don't feel the pressure that I need God to give me a specific calling to tell me what to do with my vocation. Instead, enjoy that God is with you trust that he's going to open doors for you that you never saw coming i mean literally this air traffic control thing i did i could not have orchestrated those steps if i even tried and it came out of left field from nowhere it had to be god Hmm. 
And it was one of the most fun three and a half years of my life. It's still the funnest job I've ever had. Wow. So uh, I didn't chase that. It found me. And so you can trust the sovereignty of God in this conversation a little bit to say, Lord, help me find my way. Uh, while in the meantime, I'm not going to go hungry. I've, I've got to work. Mm-hmm. So don't sit in your recliner wondering about all this. Get a job. Yeah. And then sort it out as you keep going. So I want to be the guy that has a calling, right? I want to be the guy who, who has got meaning in his nine to five job uh, or fe- or at least feels like he's doing what he's supposed to do. And I want, you know, how do, how do I become that guy? Okay. So but, you're, you're saying I want to find out. How do I find my calling? I don't want just a job. I want I want to know what I was made to do. Right. How do I figure that out? Yeah. But first, we got to talk about Patreon. Got to got to check okay. the boxes. Okay. Uh, we got to pay the bills. We got to pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> what is Patreon? What do we use that for? Patreon is a is a crowdsource funding. Uh, I think I'm out of confuse those words. Crowdfunding source, crowdsource funding. I don't know how that works. Anyway, it's a it's a way for people to who believe in what we're doing and want to help us do it further and faster uh, to support with a pledge monthly. And so it can go as low as a dollar. It can go as high as you want it to go. We do have some um, um, reward based uh, levels of partnership, mm-hmm. uh, but you can be a patron is what that would be. You'd be a patron if you make a, a monthly pledge through a third party called Patreon. Yeah. And that links on our website at uh, Jim and John dot com. No, no H. H in the John. No H in John. And uh, we've got goals on there and uh, perks for each of the tiers. If you give uh, $1, you get this podcast on a Friday instead of Monday. And you get to listen to our Patreon-only or Patreon-exclusive podcast, which is just a Q&A. Send in uh, almost any question and we'll answer it. Yeah, so our uh, patrons get to decide what the Q&A conversations are about because they mm-hmm. submit questions. Yeah, the $5 tier submits questions. But at $1, you get access to, the, to listen to it. And in and you, and advance. Well, you get this in advance, and you get the exclusive one. Oh, right, in general. right, right. Uh, but yeah, just uh, check that out, man. We're going to keep doing the podcast for free. It's not like we're totally. going to sell the podcast or sell even ads on this necessarily. We're just looking for people who uh, who are excited about our mission to get this product out further and faster, mm-hmm. to write more books, to do more eBooks, to just help us. Uh, multiply that effort this mission that we believe god has asked us to do he's gifted us for it and so uh these are partners exactly okay so give me the give me the lowdown okay so if a guy says to me um i don't know what i want to be when i grow up but i don't just want a job i want my work to be an expression of this thing i was made to do how do i figure that out Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you th- something you love, John, and that's a Venn diagram. <laughs> I very much love Venn diagrams. I know you do. And so if you're not familiar with a Venn diagram, it's three circles. No, uh, it can be, normally it's two. Normally but. it's two, but the, all the ones I love are three. And, um, and where those three circles overlap in the middle, that core spot is your, is your sweet spot. That's the, that's the power spot. And so the three circles in my mind would be uh, first your – um, your experiences, your family of origin, your personality, you know, this, this thing of you, mm-hmm. the other one would be your passions, things you love, your aptitudes, things you're good at. And the third thing would be uh, need in the world. Hmm. And so as where those overlap, you would add your education in there on that experience side. Sure. Um, 
but your experiences is where I would go a lot. Like, uh, you've been writing stories since you were a little boy. And so, and, and imagining stories and you've had this love of story early, early on in your life Mm. that would go in that first circle. Sure. There's just these parts about you, your introversion, your love of words, your ability to articulate your love of story. Um, so what, what if a a guy like we were talking about earlier, doesn't really, uh, or, or girl, this is a gender neutral. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, doesn't have. A clear directive there. So well, me, everybody does. Everybody does because you have it. And it won't speak by itself. This is just the first part of the pie. Hmm. And so you're, you, uh, that's birth order. That is your gender. That is, um, if you've gone through abuse, if you've had, hmm. uh, parents who divorced, you know, all that goes in that bucket. Um, cause that makes you, you. Yeah. Um, then that side of, um, these passions and talents. Like, what is it that makes you pound the table? What is it that makes you get you excited? What makes your heart race? What makes you happy? Mm-hmm. What makes you angry? What makes you cry? All those go in this passion box because uh, when you are doing something you're passionate about, and it could be that that turns out to be a, a hobby or an extra thing rather than a vocation. Hmm. Because not everybody can make a living with their passions. That would be the dream that you could, but not everybody can. And then that third part of world need, uh, because I think all of us want to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a guy. This is is interesting. I forgot about this. A couple days ago, I'm um, sitting at Starbucks with with my buddy Dallas. And this guy walks over and talks to us. And he's got a, uh, a plumbing shirt on he he's a sales rep mm-hmm. uh he does bidding for this mega plumbing company and um they deal with a lot of crappy water you know it's just crap <laughs> right and so he says that he'll deal you know he'll talk to his plumbers and they feel like man i'm just i'm dealing with crap water all day mm-hmm. and he said can you and he he tells them all the time can you imagine a world where there aren't any plumbers, <laughs> people would be up to their armpits and crap. And, uh, you know, there's a world need. We need high functioning water management systems. We need, you know, you, so you, you find this need with your talents and passions and with this person you've been crafted to be. And somewhere in that middle spot where they overlap is going to be at least a sense of direction for you. And you could say, I was made for this. Hmm. Because uh, everything you've been up to today and everything you love and something the world needs all merged in that spot. Yeah. I tell you, one of my one of my greatest comforts is finding people who are very passionate about their job that to me sounds like a living hell. <laughs> like so, what? Can you have, like, an, you have an example of that? Yeah. Like, uh, I forget who. We were talking to somebody and they, they said they're... Uh, kid wanted to be a dentist and i was like who in in all of god's creation would want to be a dentist and yeah. i'm so glad that they do and and it brings me a lot of i'd rather a be a dentist things. than a proctologist well <laughs> yeah you know i mean there's yeah. worse things or but a really, foot doctor if you're looking in any of the orifices of a human body <laughs> i really don't want any part of it so <laughs> but see that they're fascinated by how it all works and exactly you know yeah, I, I met a guy who designed, he's an engineer. 
and he's a civil engineer, and he designs new versions of trash receptacles. Hmm. Uh, he works for a company that produces all kinds of industrial products, and his first job was trash receptacles and really innovative ways Bibbing. to make those things open and close. And, you know, and he loved it because he's doing he's designing something that is going to make somebody's uh, issues with trash better. Wow. Well, thank, <laughs> thank God for him. Uh, that's going to do it for the week. Um, any big takeaways this one on this one? Well, I think, you know, I'd love to hear your big takeaway. My Mine is uh, who you are and how you do what you do, I think, are superly more important than what you actually do, unless what you're doing is criminal. <laughs> sure. You know, but as long as it's a law-abiding thing, uh, how you do it and who you are is more important than the exact thing you do. And if you are one of the lucky ones, and it's worth pursuing and fighting for, but if you're one of the lucky ones who gets to do something you love, uh, thank God for that because that's that's a privilege. Hmm. What's your takeaway? Yeah, I guess I guess mine would be, uh, and I don't, I never really. You're saying um, maybe younger people stressing about missing their their really narrow path. Mm-hmm. I don't labor a, a lot over that. I just uh, I really do enjoy the the freedom of. Uh, of the sovereignty of God, which we talked about in episode yeah. four or five in the sovereignty episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess my takeaway is, is even doubling down on that, that really, um, if you have your priorities straight and you really are living for God and w- with that, um, that, uh, integrity and, uh, really walking the walk, there's not, you can't go wrong necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, I don't think you even need to put an asterisk on that because if you are doing something wrong, then you're not, that integrity thing isn't there. You're like, if you're right, doing something criminal, right. you're not right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of, um, agency there. There is. So, uh, this will be another conversation for another day, but I've, I'm too curious not to ask it right now. Mm-hmm. Before you married Lindsay, did you believe there was one woman on the earth for you? No. So you weren't like, I have to find the one. No. I wasn't. Yeah. That's a, I think the, the parallels are there in vocation. I don't have to find the job. Yeah. Um, that there's probably a lot of answers to that question, possible answers to that question. Yeah. I was, I think I was raised this way and I, I've always viewed it as, um, a gradient scale of compatibility. Mm. And, uh, I just so happened to find one really close to the, <laughs> the most, to the, the perfect most, zone, to the perfect zone. So yeah, you really did. Um, but there's a, I think, um, there are, easier marriages and harder marriages, but mm-hmm. any one of them could be successful. And you know, I have, uh, we use a, we use a premarital tool called prepare and rich. Now it's Simbus. I thought it was, we, we use both. Okay. And, okay. and, um, but the prepare and rich predict, I don't, not supposed to tell people this, but it predicts divorce with 98% accuracy. Holy smokes. And so, uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, sometimes a couple oh. will come and they'll take that assessment and there's ranking of scores, um, and the most uh, scary score is is a conflicted couple. Hmm. And that means there are some significant things you don't agree on or that you see completely differently. And I've had a couple of couples where, you know, those survey results come back with alarms going off. Whoop, whoop, <laughs> alert, alert, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I show it to them. And here's the thing. You can still marry each other. You just got to acknowledge we got to roll up our sleeves like some of those, they, they say it this way. 
If this couple decides to get married, they should enter marriage counseling immediately after the honeymoon. (laughs) (laughs) But if you want to work that hard because you love each other, go for it. Yeah. But just know you're going to have to work that hard. Yeah. And that could be true about your career path or about your vocation too. I think that there's career paths that might fit you like a glove. And there are others who go, I don't care. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. I think God gives us a lot of liberty. Do whatever's in your heart. Just understand how hard it might be right. or how smooth it might go, you know, in that way. That's great. Well, this has been a great conversation. I yeah. hope you've enjoyed it. And, um, man, have a great week. Be sure and uh, reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram at Jim and John, mm-hmm. Twitter at Jim and John one. Mm-hmm. And you can find us, um, let's see, on our webpage, jimandjohn.com. No That's H right. in the John on any of those. And, uh, man, subscribe to our podcast, either uh, at any podcast provider you use. Uh, hit the subscribe. That way you'll get notified when there's a new episode released, which will be every Monday. Yeah, that helps you out with making sure you don't miss an episode. helps us out making sure we have kind of a grasp on our audience. Yeah. Uh, and we're posting uh, every Monday at 8. And if you'd like that a little sooner, $1 on Patreon gets you that on a Friday. There you go. So have a great day. Thanks for listening.